Greetings, church and friends of the church. Um, it is the last weekend in May 2020. This is our uh, 12th weekend um, in this pandemic season of wilderness, isolation, disconnection from, from what's normal. Um, things aren't normal yet. Um, there might be a new normal soon. We're just not sure when it'll end. And in this time, we've been... Um, We've been learning how to relate to God and to each other and to our own selves in new ways since we've been disconnected from the old ways um, of, those, of, of those relationships. Um, in this series of reflections that have been building for weeks, um, we've been thinking about um, being present, empath uh, having empathy, as it is stirred within us during these new circumstances. We've thought about um, how being in the wilderness gives us the chance to be more aware of our privilege and with that empathy to feel compelled to extend that privilege to more. Um, we've reflected on how God uh, is in control of the God things, uh, but that we people have to be in control of the people things in order for this to all work as it's intended to work. Um, We've reflected on how we can't just go back to normal, um, how things were before all this started, because back there wasn't a place of well-being for everyone. Um, we've reflected on how we need adaptation and creativity then, because those, those old ways, those old solutions will not serve us well in a new era with new circumstances. We've um, reflected on the natural tendencies that we've all evolved to have as human beings, um, these tendencies of reactivity that make us ready to fight or flight, uh, tendency toward negativity, tendency toward tribalism. We reflected on how these tendencies are part of the stories of Ahmaud Arbery, armed protest conspiracy theories. We uh, reflected on what it really means to be a spiritual person, to be spiritual, and not just to be sort of uh, animalistically physical, and, and also what it means to not just be religious. Um, but to be truly spiritual. And in the last episode, we considered the first um, major macro temptation that we all face as human beings that come out from these tendencies. And, and that temptation is to elevate the sense of self um, above all else and to believe that life is all about the pursuit of my own needs and my own desires being met. In this episode, um, we're invited to consider the second of these major macro temptations that arise out from our tendencies to fight or flee, to assume the negative, to, uh, to be tribal. And we remember that a person who feels temptation is not an evil person, just a person person. Um, we all feel them. And so what's really important is how we respond. Will we respond as purely physical and self-serving or will we respond as a spiritual being that has room inside of us uh, to listen to a, a, a word of guidance as to what we ought to do or say that is more than just our sort of animalistic urges to self-protect. Um, this was Moses. This was Jesus. This was the prophets. This is contemporary heroes like Parks and King and Bonhoeffer, Mandela, who had to overcome these temptations in order to live their lives that instigated goodness and justice. As we considered in the last couple episodes, um, 
when Matthew tells of, of the Jesus event, Matthew attributes his movement into the wilderness uh, as a direct result of being filled with the Spirit of God, allowing room within him in that place that helps to, to decide um, for a voice other than just his own primal urges. He made room in that space for the voice of this spirit of love, creativity, and justice that has been forever and always will be. Um, it wasn't the voice of his physical tendencies. It wasn't the voice of his, the contemporary re religious leaders. It wasn't the voice of greed speaking in his spirit, but, but the spirit of God um, who bids us all out like Jesus into this time of wilderness where we can face and overcome these temptations. So the second major temptation he faced was regarding the relationship of the self to others. So the first temptation was really just all about the self and having a purely self-focused id and ego. The second temptation is about our relationship that we then take um, with others. To believe that life is all about getting power and authority over others. And then, therefore, being the recipient of their servitude and their glory. He, uh, while in the wilderness, uh, called to his mind's eye all the kingdoms of the world and felt this natural temptation within him to seek uh, glory and authority. If he intentionally sought it, he knew that surely he could be admired, feared, served, worshipped by other peoples in the world. But in response, Jesus responded, to this temptation, worship God and serve God only. Instead of choosing to be preserved, served, and admired, Jesus chose instead to move beyond this temptation and in his life to adopt the posture of a servant. For his life to serve God's will and intention of peace, which meant the love and service of others. We all face this temptation within human relationships to be the ones with the power, the authority, the glory, to amass that authority and power, to use it over and against those who might oppose us, to become revered, followed, successful, powerful, feared by others, able to exert our will, that just naturally arises out of these tendencies that we have to self-protect. Because that id inside of us thinks that if we're on top of the pile, if, if we're the loudest voice, if we're the most feared, if we're the top dog, then, then we'll be safe. And then we can ensure that all of our needs are met. So we wonder how and when we face this. What well, really starts immediately and early in life for those of us who are born into families with siblings. I see this in our three daughters every day, in the dynamic between them. It's, and, and I remember it, and I know it all too well, um, from life with my own two wonderful, fantastic sisters. It is so very tempting to seek power and leverage over our siblings so that we are the one able to impose our will to, to have our needs and desires met, to have things go the way that we want, to, to then uh, to have our siblings 
serve us and consent to us and defer to us um, because there's that part inside of us that knows if, if we can be that top dog among our siblings, then we will get what we need from our parents. We face this in individual relationships in, in every layer of our lives. We, we want to be the popular or authoritative one in our social circles so that the group defers to our hopes and our plans and pays attention to us the most because that feels the most safe. Uh, it feels like that, that's the, less, the least amount of risk of, of being cast out. Our kids face that temptation at their schools. Um, not only in social circles as cliques and bullies and power dynamics emerge, but also as they learn to strive for the best grades to the point that they're stressing themselves out so that they're ranked higher than their peers and are more likely to be accepted to the best colleges than their peers. As they're overscheduled and stressed out with too many practices and training sessions, classes and rehearsals, so that they're the ones who get the attention and the glory as the standout on the athletic field or the star of the show or the competition, because that feels the most safe. We face this temptation as adults in our workplaces, and, and maybe we've all heard too many stories or lived them ourselves of corporate politics, jockeying, alliances, betrayals, and whatever else it takes to climb that ladder until you're the one at the top with the most authority, the most money, and the most glory. That feels the most safe. Feels like you're the least expendable at that point. We face this temptation in our civil service organizations and in our faith communities, where there's all too often those same politics, alliances, and whatever else it takes to get into that place where there's the power to dictate decisions, direction, and vision, places where we lead and we get what we want while others must follow, where others offer praise and adoration and deference and gratitude to us. We face this temptation corporately, tribally, as is evident in our religious, local, state, national, and international politics and systems. Congregations and denominations seek to be the authoritative faith community and seek to hoard community members' loyalty and resources. One town seeks advantage uh, and notoriety, a better reputation than another town that's just on the other side of the river or the bridge. On the larger scale, nations seek authority and power over and against other nations, imposing their will, abusing or stealing their natural resources, claiming their land as their own. And as we are unable to ignore this week, um, centuries of the descendants of white European colonizers have fallen for this temptation. And because of it, not only were native peoples oppressed, exiled into slavery and executed back when the colonizing was happening, but for hundreds of years since and still today, Communities of color are still the victims um, because the white community has protected and sustained systems that allow for the unfair hoarding and abuse of power and authority over and against people of color. And we'll get more into this in a couple episodes from now when we reflect on how these 
three major macro temptations have materialized into systemic racism. This temptation is everywhere. And it's anywhere uh, that tendency inside of us says that we need to have the power and authority over another, not just because we like the adoration, but because we think that being the top dog is the safest approach to life. Because we think that this is the way to make sure that we are protected and safe and that our needs are met by having power over the people I fear might either take what is mine or somehow are a risk to my well-being. So I make my sibling look bad in front of mom and dad. I bully another kid who threatens my status. I gossip about a friend to knock down their reputation and elevate mine. I sabotage a co-worker's successes, or I sell them out to our boss. I dismiss, berate, or demonize someone who doesn't agree with my politics so that my politics feel superior. I deport people who I think are going to steal my job. I refuse to advocate for a minimum wage that's livable because then the food and the things that I want to buy are going to cost more of my money, and that doesn't feel as safe. I hoard my money to build up my own kingdom and my own reputation rather than to share it with those in need. I judge people using my religion so that I can feel morally and spiritually superior and authoritative because that's what feels the most safe eternally. Temptation is everywhere. But in response to it, Jesus' response was, Worship God and serve God only. Jesus was not to be in his glory as a conquering crusader uh, or a charismatic uh, gaining abuse of power and authority um, over other peoples. But he was in his glory as a servant in service of all the different peoples of the world, including the judged and the oppressed and the marginalized. He understood that God's kingdom, the order, the way that he talked about the order of humanity that's divinely intended, is not an empire that's built and protected by force. This kingdom on earth is built and protected by unconditional love for the sake of the other. Jesus puts the fullness of his identity in his glory and service of others, in his refusal to exert his power over and against anyone, his insistence that the power that we do have, the authority that we do have, we are to leverage for the sake of the well-being of all so that there's justice and not just benefit to the self. He taught things like, those who seek to serve their own life lose out on life. But those who give their life away for others find it. Don't worry about what you eat or what you wear, but instead seek the righteousness of God, the eternal and universal will of peace and justice among all peoples. And we'll get to that idea more in a few episodes when we talk about materialism, consumerism. Those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. An eye for an eye is not my way. If someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. Love those you tend to label as enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for their healing and not for their destruction. Early Christian leader Paul wrote to the Romans 
Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Don't repay anyone evil from, for evil, but take thought for what is noble and good in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus always sought to help, heal, and enlighten. He never sought to defeat. He spoke against ideas, but, but he never judged, attacked, condemned, or killed another person. He was in his glory um, as he was being falsely accused and killed as a zealot and refusing to exercise his power over and against even his acu accusers and executioners. He loved them. He forgave them. He did not overcome their oppression with power. Rome, the empire, was about power over and against. It killed Jesus, but we have to ask, who's still standing? The Roman Empire or the Christian movement? Power taken and protected by force is false and fleeting. The temptation of power and authority over and against others is a false and a broken and an empty promise. Power struggles among siblings don't lead to the good life, but lead to brokenness and loneliness and the longing for something that's better. Power struggles among students and schools don't lead to the good life, but to the fragile and fleeting belonging and cliques that will never feel as safe as a true community of inclusion that's based on an ethic of the value of every human being rather than based on these power dynamics. Jockeying and politicking in workplaces cannot lead to the good life, but it leads to individualism and stress, high turnover rates. It's, it's a sense of teamwork and fairness and loyalty that leads to meaningful work. White supremacy, voter suppression, refusing entry to immigrants will never deliver us the good life. But living peaceably with all, feeding the hungry, Overcoming these evils of systemic racism and poverty with good. Now that is where the good life is found. A life that demonstrates a worship of God and not the self. A life that seeks to locate power and authority not within the self, but with the eternal and mysterious God of all peoples, nations, and times. A life that seeks this divine intention of justice and the well-being of all people. That's where the good life is. Worship God and God alone, not the self. We have to move beyond this temptation in order to truly live and to live together. This was Moses, Jesus, Parks, King. Will this be us? What will our legacy be? If we choose to listen not only to the it of the self, which tempts us relentlessly to seek power and authority over others, but if we also listen for this word in our spirit of the life-giving, mysterious, and loving God, whose eternal nature is compelling us to seek love and servitude instead of power and authority, compelling us to use our power for others rather than against them, compelling us to live together in justice and mercy and peace and a shared well-being in the common good, that openness to the divine will can and will help us to move forward 
beyond this temptation and to live the kinds of lives that change the world for good. Stay home, stay safe, be well, and peace be with you all.